0: welcome to the vox pop a podcast of missio day church at missio day we believe that everyone has a story worth sharing and this podcast gives voice to those stories
1: i'm brian and i'm peter
0: and we're your hosts
1: welcome to the vox pop
0: Well, we have a very special podcast episode today. Uh, As you know, Missio Day is a church-planting church. We are excited to help plant gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching churches all throughout the 828 area code. And today we have Billy Glosson from Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and Zach Mason from The Grove Church in Spruce Pine, North Carolina. Fellas, welcome to the show. Thanks Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, it's great to be here.
1: What have the last 11 weeks looked like? Man, it
2: has been weird. So this is Billy, by the way, and it was strange. So we had just started doing Sunday morning gatherings and it was really exciting. Actually, the last Sunday we were together, we had a big kids training because we have, you know, like many young church plants, we have lots and lots of kids. And so we were excited about that. Everything was kind of moving forward. We had some cool stuff on the horizon and then just... Everything kind of paused but it's been good and hard at the same time I feel like instead of growing wider God's been growing us deeper mm-hmm. um, and that's been really good and the first few weeks you know we were kind of shocked and I said you know guys we don't really know what to think but we know how to think so let's take time to gather our gather ourselves and say hey Lord what would you have for us in this time and so there's been some really good rich moments over the last several weeks but there's been some hard ones too.
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, we would ju- we were just starting a, a renovation project for uh, a new space for us to move into. And that was really exciting. And then this happened. So that slowed down significantly, which has actually led to some frustrations over the last couple of weeks because we, we need to be out of our building in July 1st. So if we start regathering, are we going to have a place to meet in a few weeks? And so we're looking at that and trying to figure that out. The town's been super helpful trying to get us into a new space. So, so that's been hard, but really, our our church has shined in in a particular area during the last 11 weeks. We, we've really poured into our just community volunteerism. And so we've been supporting our community. We, we uh, partnering with a local restaurant, we are giving out over a hundred meals a week to some local mobile home parks over the weekend. And so it's been amazing just door to door gloves, masks, the whole thing, or at least hand sanitizer and gloves, passing out meals to to students who, who wouldn't be getting meals. The the schools are passing out Monday through Friday. We're trying Mm -hmm. to fill in the gaps for the weekend. And then, also, we have a, a group of men who have just been going helping people fix their roofs and, and, and some, uh, some shut-ins and widows trying to fix some things on their house during this time. They're trying to keep social distancing and, and doing all that because we want to respect and love people. But because people are at home more, a lot of our men have used that time to go out and do more, volunteer and, and help people in different yeah. ways uh, where they couldn't while they were at work Monday through Friday. So that's been pretty cool. It's fantastic.
1: Can we get a scale of how old your churches are?
3: Yeah, we are a, a spanking brand new
2: baby. Mm-hmm. So brand spanking new, baby. Wow, that was something. All
1: right. So yeah, we, we,
2: are, we are pretty new. I moved here in the middle of 2018. So I grew up here and then lived in Missouri for a number of years, served at a church there, and then came back um, with my wife. And then we took kind of the first, I'd say, six months or so to get our feet under us, then spent most of 2019 building our core team, gathering, getting ready. And so 2020 was really like our big rollout. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we're pretty new. We're pretty fresh.
3: Uh, At the Grove Church, we're we're almost just just a little over four years old. We planted in 2016, our living room. So yeah, just about four years and a few months old. Thanks. I like that.
0: So members of Missio know both of you because you both preached here before, but probably don't know much of your backstories. And so I know, Billy, as you mentioned, you're you're from this area, from Burke County, where you're planting. Uh, Zach, you're actually from Sacramento, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Sacramento area. That's that's in California, by the way, for those who don't know. So walk us through a little bit, just a a quick kind of synopsis of grown-up years and how you came to faith and that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a nominally Christian household, if that's a thing. We went to church on Easter and Christmas time. Maybe we definitely cooked a Easter, ber- or not Easter, a Christmas birthday cake for Jesus So we, we knew what Christmas was about. Wow! Strangely, always had coconut flakes on it, which I think is disgusting. It's but Jesus' favorite. My mom, yeah, that's what my mom says. So, um, so we always had a Jesus birthday cake on on Christmas. Uh, he,
0: he wouldn't come and like eat the cake in the middle of the night. No on Christmas, <laughs> like Santa with the cookies. No, right?
3: <laughs> no, we ate it for him. Um, well, my parents did. I didn't eat it, but because of the coconut flakes. But yeah, so we. We had that, so I grew up with that. But didn't never went to church in between those times. Didn't really understand the gospel or, or Christianity at all. I just knew there was a God. I was probably bad. I knew I was bad, and probably wasn't on His good side. I kind of felt a little bit like Santa Claus. Speaking of that, right. like, just like, oh man, I've done some mess, messed up things, so it's not good. But in high school, I started going to church because uh, this girl I liked would only date Christians, and so I was like, I'm a Christian for sure then. And then she asked me what church I, I was going to. So I named the first church that came to mind. I was not going there. Um, <laughs> and it just so happened the church that her and, per- her and her parents just started going to. So then I had to actually go to keep this lie going. <laughs> uh, so I had to like bum rides and, and try and get there. So that was fun. But yeah, so I started going to church and, and really just started actually like hearing the gospel. And, and some youth pastors took some time to uh, sit me down on their couch and just explain the gospel to me and, and talk to me. And this guy named Daniel Isarelli came. Uh, he was a volunteer at, at a youth uh, youth group. And he, man, he just like took me under his wing and discipled me before I even like knew what I believed. And he just like, come with me. I don't have a lot of time. He was 26, had two kids and a wife, but he had, he went grocery shopping a lot. So mm-hmm. like, I just go grocery shop with him and he talked to me about Jesus. And I like had some messed up views. I thought Satan and God were like equals. And he was like, no man, that's not true. And he, so he explained, I just remember that conversation. Like he just explained like, yeah. no, like God's sovereign. He's supreme. Like he's over all things. So he was just awesome and spent time with me and, and loved me and, and cared for me in a way that uh, I hadn't really felt before. And so, man, I just, just surrendered to Christ. Like this is, this is the team I want to be a part of. Like I felt at home. I felt like I had a family and God was my King. And I wanted that to be a reality. So I surrendered to Christ and just started walking that route and trying to follow Jesus the best I could. Went to college, met my wife. Uh, well, she wasn't my wife yet. I met this girl who would later become my wife. I don't know how you're supposed to say that, but I met her. <laughs> Not and, that way. <laughs> <laughs> I met her and, uh, man, she loved Jesus and so we just thought, let's love Jesus together yeah. and got married and moved to North Carolina because that's where her parents were at. So and it's cheaper than California, if you could imagine.
0: Right. Yeah. All right, Billy.
2: Yeah. So for me, I grew up in really most of my, most of my childhood was in Burke County, North Carolina. I don't sound like it. That's because I got the redneck made fun of out of me uh, in Missouri. <laughs> and so that slowly dwindled away. So yeah, I grew up here in Burke County, loved the Lord, and just kind of again, I think nominal faith is a good way to put it. Grew up, uh, a lot of it was very emotional and kind of a provocative sort of faith where it's like, oh, you got to give your all to Jesus. And um, didn't really know what it looked like to walk with the Lord in a healthy way um, that wasn't just. A lot of up and down. And so ended up feeling like I needed to go to Bible college because apparently that's what good Christians do. So decided I would go as far away from North Carolina as I could get and went to the middle of Missouri in a small, janky prison town called Moberly. There's a little bitty Bible college called Central Christian College, and that's where I went. And it was interesting. Definitely wrestled a lot with what I wanted to do, thought I was going to be a youth pastor, thought I was going to do all these different things. And really what ended up happening was I was engaged to a girl that's not my wife. It seems like both of us just like have these big pivotal moments um, that involve relationships. So for me, we were engaged, we were moving towards our, our wedding day, and then boom, she dumped me. And it was really hard there's a lot I could get into about that, but I won't for the sake of time and interest. Yeah, so she she left, and I was really confused and frustrated, and my brother, um, who had also gone to the same Bible college, had graduated and got involved with a church plant in Columbia, Missouri, which is about 30 minutes away. He said, hey man, why don't you come to church with me? I was not interested, and I went, and it was in going that I just absolutely fell in love with the local church. Mm-hmm. I saw the difference between what it looked like to Kind of have this, I don't even know how to describe it, really roller coaster relationship with Jesus to having an actual relationship where there's daily presence. And it's not only in the word, but it's also in, in his people. And just fell in love with this idea of seeing a good gospel center church being planted elsewhere. And originally had this idea that I was going to go to New England. And then coming back home to North Carolina, felt really drawn towards North Carolina and thought, oh, well, I don't want to go to Burke County, I'll go to Asheville. That didn't happen, of course. Um, yeah, Asheville's cooler, right? <laughs> At least that's what I thought. And then, uh, yeah, God just softened my heart more and more through uh, actually your prodding, Brian, and some other folks as well, just to consider Morganton and uh, Burke County, and fell in love with the area. Me and my wife both did, and so we moved here with a desire to see a healthy gospel-centered church in Burke County.
1: Can y'all speak more about that calling? How did you know when when God was tugging on your heart? How did you know that that tugging was for planting a church rather than joining an existing church or? Yeah,
0: because because Zach, you didn't come back. I mean, you didn't come to North Carolina with the thought of planting a church originally, did you?
3: No, not really. I, I kind of I'd always thought like I wa- I, I knew I was wanted to be a ministry. Um, church planting sounded awesome, but I never like had that. I'm definitely. I didn't come to North Carolina with like the desire like we're going to plant North Carolina. It was just, man. I'm. 18 years old, married, I need a place to live, you know, uh, in North Carolina, was cheaper. So mm-hmm. uh, no, but I mean, really after, um, after my like, just conversion, I just knew that like Daniel uh, is really the guy who discipled me just played such a pivotal role. I wanted to do that to others. I wanted to just love people, live life with people and then like, guide them to Christ. And so I just knew that's what I wanted to be about. And I didn't know if that meant like ministry, although everyone, even if you know, if you love Jesus in a youth ministry, then you're supposed to be a youth pastor. Like that's like, there's no just Christians who have other jobs who love Jesus. It's if you love Jesus, <laughs> you need to go to ministry. And so that's what everyone told me. I was like, you're, you're called a ministry, man. I don't know if that was true back then or not. It's, but it's
0: usually the ministry. You're called to the
3: ministry, right? It's- <laughs> yeah. The ministry. In fact, when I went to Bible college to prepare for that call, my pastor uh, in California said like, well, why are you going to Bible college? And I was like, I guess to like go into the ministry. And he's like, why don't you just stay here? I'll teach you how to do the ministry. Um, and you don't have like, you can get you on staff and Uh, I'm glad I went because I met Margie, my wife there, or who would later become my wife. That was that. And I moved to North Carolina and we actually tried to partner with churches. And I was, I was a youth pastor because that was my calling. And for several churches, I just couldn't quite find a home, a place to belong. You know, talk to the pastor, like, Hey, we're like, you know, first time, like, Hey, we're going to revitalize this church. And I was like, man, I'm on board. Let's do it. Small little Baptist churches ran by the deacon board. And it's just like, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's bring the gospel in here. Let's see lives transformed. And. And the kingdom advance, and we're like, let's do it. And then we found quickly, like, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really hard to do that. Yeah. And tried that. I later just resigned, just as like, man, like, I don't know. Like, I just took too many shots, and I just, I was 19 years old, and I was like, I don't know if I have the emotional capability to be yelled at in a deacon's meeting uh, right now. So um, also,
0: also, an 18-year-old should not be a youth pastor. That's He's fair. He's still a youth.
3: <laughs> that's fair. I thought I was cool, In my man. opinion. Yeah, no, I knew a lot more back then than I know now, Uh, for sure. At least thought I did. <laughs> So that was going on too, but a few different churches and honestly got to a point where we started having kids and I'm, I'm not saying this is the way people should be called to church planning. Uh, I preface this all the time, but we planted out of just desperation uh, and desire. Like we wanted to live in spruce pine. We loved spruce pine, we loved the people of spruce pine. We tried for eight years to find a gospel presence that we could belong to and just couldn't find it. And so we just like, let's just make it like, let's let, let's see if God's in this. And so we started a Bible study Sunday nights at our house and that grew into like, hey, let's just move. Why are we doing Sunday nights? let's just move to Sunday morning and make this like a real thing. So we did that. And then we outgrew our living room. And my was like, I'm tired of cleaning up our living room every week. And I was like, well, I could help. But then I worked, so I didn't help much. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I should have. That was, I mean, I need to repent. But I was I was just always working. So I was bi- I'm still bivocational. So I mean, we planted really just out of desperation and desire to see God do something. Tried and failed to help revitalize. I'm not built for it. I don't have the patience for it. Something, God's going to have to do something in my heart if that's for me, but planting, entrepreneurial stuff, like that was just more my gifting. And so I started there.
2: Yeah, I would say call is kind of, I could give a few things, but the three things that come to mind is a desire. Am I able? Like, do I actually have the skill set? And do others affirm it? Um, does my church affirm it? And do, does my family affirm it? And so I actually like that Zach and I are here because we have such different stories. Um, so mine is very different where I felt this desire. To, to plant, but I wasn't sure that I had the skill set, so I went ahead and did an internship um, with that church, which was Cars Church, which is also a part of the same church planning network that Coram Deo and actually all of us are a part of, yep. uh, The Grove and Missio Day Acts 39. And so Set and learned under them for two years, that church uh, planning internship turned into a church planning residency that lasted a couple of years, and then that turned into uh, me being a part of the elder process, which was a very lengthy process in which I became one of the elders at Carus Church in Columbia, Missouri. And so for me it was a just a, a kind of a, a testing of like is this what I really want to do lord um, am i skilled to do this like am i qualified to do this and does my family and my my support system my church believe in me and think that I should do this and when all of those boxes were checked that's when we started making the steps towards moving here to do that and so i would say it's it's different with church planning than maybe your average pastor who goes to seminary, comes out, looks for a job is. Obviously, it's a lot more entrepreneurial, like you're trying to get people to believe in this vision that you have and build it up. It's, it's kind of like starting a business, mm-hmm. except you want to be sure that people don't think you're a cult, um, so that's why you pick a Latin name. Right. <laughs> um,
0: like, like Corum Deo or exactly. Missio Dei.
2: Right. And, and yeah, so I think the biggest thing is that you have to have a strong sense of call, Because if you do not, you will burn out quickly. There's not as much reward. In the early stages of church planting, as there may be when you come out of seminary and enter into a full-time ministry position. You know, you may preach your first sermon, hear from the congregation, all that was fantastic, whereas when you're in your living room with, you know, five other people convincing them to go with you on this process, they may think you're nuts. So you have to kind of figure this out. Is it worth it? Is there a strong sense of call that the Lord will sustain me through this process?
1: Very cool.
0: Both of you came from larger places, Uh, Zach from Sacramento and Billy from Columbia, and of course, initially desiring to plant in Asheville. I just wonder, as you've now landed in in smaller towns, what has been the struggle and what's been the beauty of small-town ministry?
2: So for me, coming into my hometown, in in a way, so I I didn't grow up exactly in Morganton. I grew up in a town called Valdez, which is in Burke County. It's pretty transient, so it doesn't really matter. But for me, I think there was a struggle of being known, Um, And that's, you know, not that that's necessarily bad, but just that, oh, yeah, I remember you were a goober in high school, and now you want me to follow you, and like, (laughs) that seems kind of weird. The other part of it, too, is there is a connotation, particularly with church plants in smaller rural contexts, of being either one of two things, um, a church split or a cult. That's usually what you are. And so I came in understanding that I couldn't just put out flyers, post a website, invite people and everything would go okay. I started knocking on doors, calling pastors, and sitting down for coffee, and having conversations of, why would you plant here when there's already our church? And what does that mean? And and talking about how new churches are the best at reaching new residents and unbelievers, and just having really good conversations. My experience is very different than Zach's in that most churches have received us pretty warmly, Um, and I think that's because we took a posture of humility from the beginning to say that, hey, we're not saying that we've got it figured out—not that Zach wasn't humble—but that we're not saying we've got everything sorted, that we know what we're doing, we're the best church ever, but more that... We understand you've been here for a while, that you love the Lord, that you've loved this town honestly longer than we have. How can we come alongside of you and support you in that? And how can we work together to see the gospel advanced here? And so that was really good for us. I would say some of the struggles, though, are still just this idea of baggage that churches. Carry in small towns. People have relationships. Um, Even if people desire to go to church, well, they can't come to your church because, well, my granny would be mad at me for not going to her church. Oh, yeah. Some of that's definitely still there. Um, I think some of it is still just the baggage of the South in general, just this, you know, moralistic, therapeutic deism Mm -hmm. of I do good, ergo, God is pleased with me. That's huge and prevalent. And so a lot of people think as long as I show up to church occasionally and I don't swear too much, and I'm a pretty good guy. Me and G-O-D are good. And and that's not necessarily the case, you know, and right. what we see that God desires to be with us, dwell among his people. And, yeah, that's been our our experience.
3: What about you? I mean, almost the exact opposite of yours. No, uh, I love that we're here together because we do have different stories. And I think Billy's is probably more normative than mine, like calling-wise and stuff like that. But, man, when, when we planted, the biggest struggle was just the loneliness. Yeah. Uh, Man, we were just the, uh, lonely. We were not received well by other churches. And part of it is probably because I'm young and arrogant, um, or at least was. And that's only four years ago, so maybe I still am. I don't know. <laughs> but we just like I, I tried to build relationships and to, to meet with pastors and just wasn't received super well. We definitely had the cult moniker for a while. Uh, we've recently graduated from that to social gathering instead of church, so we're oh. no longer a cult. We even had like a cake and everything that had like cult crossed out on it. It was a whole thing. But um, no, we didn't actually do that. We planned it, and someone said we shouldn't. So we, we, we were, we were the cult. We were kind of the outcast. Uh, so we, we, we had to spend a lot of time just and stuff we should have been doing anyway, but like it was had dual purposes for us to really pour into our community, love our community. Well, so that that not just, um, so we'd be known for people who love the community. We're not trying to take away from the churches. Um, I've literally had to have conversations. Uh, I was asked by several pastors, like if someone from my church comes to your church, what are you going to do? And I was like, Oh, I haven't thought about, uh, I'll ask them to talk to you. Is that the right answer? Like, what should I, right. and so like, I had to think through like, okay, like how are we doing this? Um, but I was like, also that's not my plan. You know that, right? Like that's not yeah. my goal is I'm mm-hmm. not passing out flyers in your foyer. And so, and, but wait till the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, at least just on the, on the windshields. But so, so we were, we were really kind of shunned a little bit from, from, yeah. uh, evangelicalism or at least the, the, the Southern, s- Southern churches in our community. And so, man, we, we, uh, we were lonely, and honestly, we, we were lonely until, until Brian, uh, Pastor Brian, emailed me. He was like, hey, dude, we want to plant a church in Mitchell County someday, but maybe we won't have to if you guys are cool, and I was like, yeah, that would be awesome, and so we met for lunch at El Ranchero, our, like, sole Mexican restaurant at the time, and it, so good. Was, just, it was good. It was fantastic. We have Claudia's now, which is also really good. It's a taco place, so yes, if you're ever in Spruce Pine, check out Claudia's. Place that open right? I don't know. I think we're so. we oh, yeah, sponsored yeah, we by do. Claudia's today. That's no, yeah, Claudia's, like. <laughs> no, Claudia's is just fantastic. And she pays me for this. So, um, <laughs> no, what was I saying? So we, we met and it was just like, it, it was, the beginning of us actually becoming less and less lonely through, through Brian. I met Billy and, and Margie met Hannah. He, uh, urged me to apply for X29 and I did. And I've met a brotherhood and Margie's met a bunch of sisters who love Jesus, who are church planners, who love the gospel and, and have similar views, theologically and, and, and practically about how to do church. And so, man, it's just been amazing because when we're planning a church in a rural context like ours and you have questions, your question, like you don't even have uh, the same foundation sometimes to ask the question like, hey, how do we raise up elders? And they're like, what are elders? We have deacons. I'm like, okay, well, I guess those are kind of the same things in our context, but they're really not in the scripture. So how do we deal with this? And so having Brian and having Billy and other guys to like ask questions like, hey, how do we, how do we navigate this part? Of church, um, I didn't have that for the first two years, at least. So yeah, so that was the, the beauty out of that has been finding a um, a home with Acts twenty nine and with these brothers here today. And so man, that's been amazing. But also the people are just amazing. While, while the churches and maybe um, have been hard for us, it's been getting better. But the people, there's such a hunger for people. Like they 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 know that sometimes church can just kind of be a game people play, like the the moralistic uh, therapeuticism, like. And if I do this, then God will do this, and God will be pleased with me. And they know that kind of game's out there, and they, they want something more than that. And at the Grove, you've been able to, like, teach. There's more than that. In fact, that's not even it at all. Like, there's something amazing about having a relationship with Christ and following him, him being your king, and him um, not giving you everything you want, but everything that you need. And that there's joy to be found in glorifying him. And so, man, that's just been, uh, that hunger's been there because people have grown up in youth groups where you just drink soda through socks and that's like physiologically theologically as you get that's a real yeah. thing um and so yeah, you know <laughs> <Wow>. uh, <laughs> it's very challenging so yes but people are hungry and we've seen that and that's been amazing and then, and then they jump right into community uh and living life together because they've never had that before and so man it's been it's been a beauty for for that reason just to see people when they hear the gospel to respond to it with such like open arms like i want to run i want to I want to do this. How do I get involved? How do I do this? That's been great.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that's been mind blowing for me too is just seeing priorities that seem just normative. I think, in, the, in especially in the South, in the rural context, of its family, country, God, and seeing them when the the priorities flip to its God, you know, family, country kind of thing, where they just realize, like, oh my goodness, like loving the Lord. And realizing that the church is a part of my family and that these are the people that I want to give my life to, they see this richness of community that they've never experienced before. And when you see light bulb moments for people where they start to actually get the gospel, that it's not about what I do, but about what Christ has done, that I can't be good enough, I can't be righteous enough, that Jesus gives me his righteousness. Those light bulb moments are massive for people who've grown up just immersed in this kitschy Christianity, and they're realizing, man, maybe I don't actually know Jesus, and maybe I don't really know the gospel. It's a really amazing thing. And then one of the things you said too, Zach, that blew my mind too, is that people are not used to having a reverence for other churches. They're used to kind of this competitive mentality and so when we had people coming from other churches and we would say, hey, before you come here, we're, we're glad that you're excited. We gl- we're so glad that you want to you know, grow in the gospel, but why don't you go and talk to them first before you come? Mm-hmm. They were dumbfounded by that, and then their pastors were really dumbfounded <laughs> by that. I got some texts and calls saying, whoa, what's going on here? But it actually creates like a culture where people realize, like, oh, maybe we're not built to consume from the church, but to participate and be a part of a family.
0: Mm-hmm. Just for clarity... I- There are good churches in the rural parts of North Carolina. We're not knocking all of it. And uh, there are Jesus-loving people in those communities. But the way that we do ministry, the focus of our ministry, is different. And I have also seen in regions around Western North Carolina just maybe a little bit, you might call it an old school mentality that says, hey, we've got enough churches, we don't need more churches. And you know, when you look at the reality of it, those churches are not full. And so even if they were, there still wouldn't be enough churches Mm -hmm. for all the people who live in those communities. So it's essential that we partner together to plant more churches, and that we see our area saturated, and that that competition mindset just has to go. Absolutely. Uh, we're, We're past the point of being able to compete with other churches, we need to lock arms with one another. So,
2: Yeah, I think the thing I would say even to that is that I have found more people that deeply love Jesus and want to see Jesus be made much of in Burke County than I have found people who... Don't love Jesus and are in it for the wrong thing, yeah. so there are churches that I know and love who have been incredible. I mean, part of the re- reason we're doing we're doing well and we we were given spaces because we were invited into a church to share their space, and that was uh, a church called Summit Community Church in Morganson. They've been so generous to us, so gracious. So there are so many churches that are doing great things, and it's just like you said, yeah. it's it's that we want to see more people have an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's not that we want to come in and say, "Oh no, no, no! You guys are all doing church wrong. We got it figured out."
1: Right?
3: Yeah, and, and the thing we tried to tell uh, other pastors when, when, and, and you're right. Like, the, I think people were just skeptical. I don't. No one had really heard the term church planning yet. Right. It was like I. I would have been better off just saying we're starting a new church. Church exactly. planning was like, what does that even mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so there was just some skepticism. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? And one of the things we tried to share was just like, man, like if. if there aren't too many churches here if there if god moved here in spruce pine the same way he did in ephesus and he can right like we believe that mm-hmm. he can there wouldn't be enough churches and so like that's our vision that's our hope and that's our prayer and so we need the structures and systems to support that kind of movement if that happens that's what we hope that happens great but one that's... of one of the things in addition to like thinking
2: through some of the challenges with rural ministry and you you saying this about church planning makes me think this man, you have to be really careful with language. Um, and so just getting to not, not making it so complicated, because the gospel really is simple, and a lot of the truth of, of the New Testament and really of all Scripture is really straightforward and plain, and we, we overcomplicated with systems and structures. And I think of a lot of the terminology that I used to use. Like Zach and I both play board games, and I use a word all the time when I'm playing games called orthogonal. And mm-hmm. people are like, What? Yeah, it's just, yeah, top down, left, right. But yeah. people are always like, what are you saying? Because <laughs> how often do you use the word orthogonal in a, like a daily
3: conversation? I'm so glad you just defined that. You say it all the time, and I'm just like, yep, yeah, <laughs> <Yeah>. orthogonal. <laughs> that's the word I should I know. I didn't know you didn't know. Okay. It's literally
0: the first time I've heard the word, and I've never used it, obviously, because I've never heard it.
2: So that's a good example, though, right? I think we do that sometimes, even in ministry. We get to these buzzwords or maybe even big theological concepts that we just drop, mm-hmm. and I love that I've been in a context where if I'm talking to an unbeliever and I tell him I'm a church planner, he's like, what? What is that? Is that like an agricultural yeah. thing? Like are you like working with? We're growing churches. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, Organic churches. And, and even yeah.
3: when we say things like, well, we, we want to be a gospel-centered church, when we're accidentally implying that these churches don't believe the gospel. Right. And, and that could be really dangerous and yes. hurt our witness and hurt the the the, the church the church's witness. And so language is super important and being careful to love and encourage and support other churches and not just we're starting a new one because there's nothing. Yeah
1: y'all seem very mindful of the small C church, like the local church in relationship with the big C church as a whole. And I think it is worth saying, like, I think that is very appreciated in the world that we live, especially within Protestantism. It's easy to lose sight that we have brothers and sisters who are seeking to follow Christ all over the world. And we can identify with them in a really tangible way, yeah. And y'all are really mindful of that, which is great. One of the things
3: that Brian said in our first meeting at El Ranchero was he he the, the at Missio and Brian want to build the kingdom, not castles. And I don't know if you stole it from someone. Mm-hmm. I've I've stolen it from you. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's such a in, in that mindset uh, is incredible. And so we actually, and this is to brag about our church because our people, it's not me, but our people uh, have this vision too is that we we kind of serve three counties because of how rural we are. So so Mitchell County, um, and then we're right between Yancey and Avery, and we have members who come from all three of those counties. And all of them know that our goal is to plant a church in Yancey County, plant a church in Avery County, and to kick them out of our church in the name of the Lord to go back home to Yancey, to go back home to Avery, um, and love their communities well where they live. Uh, and, and so, yeah, like, we want to do that. And we're not, like, this is, we're not going to pipe in sermons, although there's nothing wrong with that. But like we want other churches to, to exist who love their communities and care for them and, and not trying to love Burnsville from Spruce Pine because mm-hmm. we can't do that super well.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Of course, we're all piping our sermons into people's homes right That's now, fair.
2: aren't we? <laughs> sure, and, and to follow up with Zach, that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, for me, we're thinking about Eastern Burke because we're in Western Burke. And, um, man, we've got some some, uh, some people I love deeply who I'm, I'm friends with and care about who come to our you know our little plant in Morganton who are driving from Hickory. And it's, it's a challenge to think of what it would look like to plant a church over there and kick them out. Mm-hmm. And the other reason I know it's hard is because I left. I left a church that I loved deeply, and I had people who I served a missional community there, which was one of our smaller groups, and I was a, a pastor on staff there and was preaching on Sundays and was really well-connected, and leaving was really hard for us, and it was really hard for Caris. For and so I'm often kind of reached out to and said, man, we just miss you. Like, We hope you're doing well. We think about you often, and there's this richness that that's That's right. That's good. Like That's what we see in the New Testament, that that we send out our best. We commission them to go and take the gospel because it's not just enough that we have it here and that it's rich and it's
1: beautiful. We want to see the whole world saturated by the hope of Jesus. That's right. Amazing. I wanted to ask y'all about, you mentioned, Zach, that you were bivocational. Um, I wanted to ask, what does that look like? What do you fill your time with when you're not pastoring?
3: Yeah, so from the very beginning, uh, I've been bivocational. When I started the church, I worked at a, at a large tech company from home, doing managing uh, their tech support. From we had uh, at home advisors who would answer calls for for our products, and that was tough. That was that took like I was working for this company for like sixty hours a week just to get my stuff done, and then and then trying to plan a church, uh, which which was really difficult, not just on the church but on my family. Oh yeah. Um, and so we, we learned pretty quickly, like, this isn't sustainable. We can't do this. So, and also I wanted to, I was working from home and I wanted to work in my community. Like I, I if I was going to be by vocation, I really wanted to have a job where I could like see people in my community make relationships and build relationships, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a rural context. And so um, I left there and started a job as a uh, account manager for an insurance company. And man, I was just horrible at that. Insurance is like, there's so many things that could go wrong. Yeah. And like, I could say the wrong thing to a company. We, we sold group plans of health insurance to, to employers. And if I say the wrong thing, which I did on my first presentation, the company bought the insurance, thinking that this is how it worked. It was not how it worked at all. And we had to set money aside to fix it in case it in case stuff went bad. Um it was a whole thing. Wow. So I just wasn't good at that. Like it was just, man, this was hard. So I started a business. And so that's what I do now. And for the last two years, I started a business from home. So back at home, sort of, we have, a, I have an office, but I work a lot from home, but we, we started a business where we sell online. And so I sell products online using Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. fulfilled by Amazon. So like we get prime shipping, all of our products sit in an Amazon warehouse. And when a customer buys it, it Amazon themselves picks it, put it in a package and ships it uh, two day shipping and one day, in a lot of places. And so that's what I do. And, I, and it's primarily board games. Uh, something that I love. Uh, I love playing board games. Me and Billy play board games a lot. Um, and I just love it. It's fun. I love looking at, like, what are the new board games coming out? What's going to sell well? It's, it's a good time. And that takes a lot less of my time. Yeah. Because Amazon's doing a lot of it. It just, it took some, some getting started took a lot of time. I uh, started off, just real quick, I don't want to take up too much time on this question, but I started off just going to Walmart and buying clearance Legos and stuff. Yeah. Because, like, you know, not a lot of people buy Legos and spruce pine, so stuff goes on clearance pretty quickly. But parents in uh, New York, that sold out in New York. They Walmart. want that set. Yeah, they're. Kids yeah. are crying, yelling at their parents, yeah. like, give me that set. And so I buy it for like less than half off, sell it for twice the price online. I don't know if that's moral or not, but yeah. supply it's and demand. Capitalism. So. Is that what <laughs> <one, laughs> is it,
1: Is the name for this retail arbitrage? It is retail arbitrage. Someone, someone's watched some YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> I'm but a yeah. nerd.
3: So yeah, so I did retail arbitrage where you take you buy it a low price from re, you know from retail and you sell it at a higher price. Yeah. Um, and so I did that for uh, to build some capital. Yeah. And then now I'm just a, I buy wholesale from manufacturers because I have enough. I was able to build it up capital to buy uh, in large enough bulk to buy from distributors or straight from manufacturers in a lot of cases instead of going to Walmart because that took a yeah. lot of time. But now I sit and I just reorder stuff. Like, okay, I sold twenty of this board game last week. I need to order twenty more
1: or whatever. Amazing. It's yeah. really easy. Yeah. So you're effectively acting as kind of a contract seller for board game manufacturers.
3: Yeah. And, and so our, our business is changing right now um, or has been over the last year. We're, we're actually trying to be um, people's Amazon expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do sell things, but we want to help uh, people win on Amazon yeah. and do well on Amazon. So our, our value add for these companies is like, hey... Uh, we'll take your pictures. We'll write the copy. We'll do everything for you. We would love to be your exclusive Amazon seller. And and so we are able to get contracts that way um, and then become people's exclusive Amazon sellers. So we're like, we're the only ones who sell on Amazon. We've done all the work. We do advertising. We do all that stuff for them and they don't, they pay us nothing for it. All we ask is that we buy, we can buy your products at wholesale price and we'll do all that for free. And, and, And then people, I mean, a lot of companies love that idea.
1: I bet they do. Yeah. That's
2: amazing. So how does Oh, it's just really bad for my board game addictive personality (laughs) when I go to visit Zach at Spruce Pine because his office is above his warehouse. So we'll go and, and we'll we'll catch up and we'll hang out. And then Zach's like, Oh yeah, come down here and check out what we got. And uh, something that you, you both Zach and I love is we're, we are board game hobbyists. Yeah. So I own like over 200 board games. Wow. It's a little ridiculous. Zach owns many more, but that's because yeah. he sells them. Yeah. And I'm always up there like, hey, is, what do you think about this one? And it gets it, a little ridiculous. But we usually play a game when
1: we hang out. So. Awesome. Yeah. This is probably a natural time to ask this question, but what are some board games that the Missio family should know about?
2: All right. So there are... I would say it depends on what kind of gamer you are. So I like really a, a broad spectrum of games. My favorite game is a game called Viticulture. It's about making wine. Okay. So that's there's that for you. I would say if you don't really play board games very often or maybe you just want to try something different, it's a really great game. You can get it probably at Target and or Walmart. It's called Azul. That's a really great one. Really simple, straightforward, really fun. It's a game about laying tile, right? And it's a really beautiful looking game. Mm-hmm. You get these really cool little plastic tiles that are... Kind of like a, I don't know what, like a back of light material. They're really neat. So that's a really great game. I'll stop there because I could talk for a long, long, long time. <laughs> we about can have board another games. podcast,
3: just a <laughs> yeah. board game podcast. Yeah. No.
2: I could, give you, I could give you five that are not settlers of Catan. That, <laughs> oh, good Catan, Lord. Catan's fine if you like it. No, it's not. It, that's if you like okay. fighting your friends. And I'm not a big fan of Catan for that exact reason. Yeah. I think it's two-player dependent. I think it's basically just a Euro version of Monopoly. Not crazy about it. It's I do very like, personal. I do like the space version, but that's another thing. We'll get into that another time. Oh. So uh, Ticket to Ride, amazing. Azul, you already said, is amazing. Carcassonne, really great tile-laying game, super fun, easy, light. Um, If you want a game that's more of an experience than a game that's really fun, there's a game called The Mind, which is really great, really inexpensive. That's a fun one. A game that I've had an immense amount of success with, everyone likes it that I've played it with, is a game called No Thanks. It's like 8 bucks on Amazon. Those are all really simple games, really straightforward. You Mm -hmm. should be able to understand them. Here's another board game word that I didn't think was uncommon, but I said this the other day to Hannah. I was like, you know, this is a game that you can easily grok. And she said, (laughs) grok? That's not a word and she looked it up and she's like that is what board game <laughs> podcast did you hear that on <laughs> and what does it mean? It's basically saying that you almost know it by intuition.
1: Oh yeah. Or you could say it's intuitive. I feel intuitive. like we could add that to the lexicon of our language.
2: I think grok is a great word. It's like saying do you grok this concept of the gospel? It makes sense. Like do you know this so well that it's almost by intuition?
1: Okay. It's a little bit more uh, in depth than grasp, but yeah. it's similar. It's very similar.
2: Yeah. Y'all. Brian cool. is shaking his <laughs> cool, cool, head. Cool, cool, cool. We've, we've, we have suckered Brian into playing a couple games. It's gone well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, one word was it called? One word was just, it? just one. Just one.
0: Like now my kids, game. my kids do enjoy that game, and it's we've actually one. just got another one. Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's it's similar in that you have the little whiteboard thing. What it is? It telestrations it. No. Oh. You have like five different questions on a card, and you read one of the five, and everyone gives their answer. So which witch and wagers. Wits and ra- wagers. And it's the same company. Okay. Yeah, something like <clears> that. So they give their answer and then you vote for which answer you thought was best. But everyone has a couple of coins and they put them on other people's answers. They vote for the other people's answers. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's pretty fun.
1: Yeah.
3: I love board games. I think even from like a church planning standpoint is getting a group of people, like everyone, a lot of people, especially like the demographic or age demographic that our church attracts is young people and people like playing video games. And I don't have anything inherently against video games, but I would rather get around a table with my friends and make experiences that way and memories that way. Uh, and so our hope is actually that board games become uh, our business and our hope. Uh, we do more than board games too. We do like kitchen supplies and journals and weird stuff. But board games is like our primary. Like this is what I'm excited about. I'm not excited about kitchen utensils. <laughs> um, some people are, you know, whatever. But is, is that, man, people, there'd be like a resurgence, at least in our community, of people got, getting with their kids around a table and having tactile hands-on experience instead of sitting your kids in front of a TV or playing a video game. And so that would be my hope and prayer, uh, and that board games would actually be a tool to to build relationships. And we're seeing that. We have game nights regularly, and we see people come in and, and play games who don't know Jesus, who don't have. In fact, when we move into our new space, my I'm going to have to put some of my board games in my office because Margie's like, you can't have these all at home. <laughs> and so I was like, cool, we'll just have game nights at the church. And so yeah. we want to open up the church building. We're right downtown on Main Street, or one of our, we have two Main Streets, we're a weird town. I love it. Um, but we want to bring people in off the street like, hey, come and play a game. And so we're going to have different things all the time and just getting people around a table, building relationships, making memories, having fun and, and see where that goes.
2: Yeah, that's actually been a big part about how we've been able to be hospitable is we've had regular game nights in our home where we're playing, again, really light, fun games and then really heavy, complex weird Euro games that you wouldn't know about. And then there's, you know, I, I play Dungeons and Dragons with a group of people, so that's a fun thing. Yeah, I know, some people might be like, that's too nerdy or You can weird. edit that out in post. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great though, it's been amazing to just connect with so many people. And even during uh, quarantine, um, having friends who don't believe in Jesus reach out to me and be like, man, I miss hanging out with you. I miss playing games. Yeah, that's And we've really cool. we found creative ways to like use zoom or there's a thing called tabletop simulator that we've used to play games, to stay in touch and stay connected. And that's been really incredible.
0: Fellas, I just am curious for the average church member, especially of the Missio family who maybe wasn't around when we planted. What What is one thing about church planting that maybe the regular average church member just doesn't understand?
3: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that it is really difficult on the church planner's wife. Mm. Um, That is
2: exactly what I was going to say.
3: Yeah. There's just a lot of expectations on, I think, a pastor's wife in general, but I think with the added pressures of we have to get something started, there's just a lot on a church planner's wife that, you know, like, hey, like I know maybe in the beginning, my wife can be like everyone's friends because there's three of you guys. But when we start getting larger, some of those relationships are going to have to change for the gospel to keep going forward. Um, And people don't, it's hard for people to realize that. And to realize that as, as we grow, relationships will change for the sake of the gospel. Um, that I can't, pa- I can't pastor all 100 people in our church. and um, My wife can't be, you know, 50 women's best friends. Um, and so we're hoping that you guys would turn on each other and be each other's best friends. And as yeah. we keep moving forward and multiplying, that, that would be seen. But that is so hard. And there are tons of people who get it. But it is something we have to teach. It's not intuitive. It, we don't people don't grok it. Um, it's not. I don't know That's if you can later. Yeah, uh, it's not intuitive. But once you tell people, like, hey, like, there's you know, fifty of you. Yeah. Um, and my wife just can't do it, and I don't want her to. Yeah. Because I want her home. I want to see her. You know, like, and so yeah. So once you teach it, I think people start to get it. But it's something people don't know unless you talk about it.
2: Yeah. I would say, in addition to that, understanding that it is not the same. As a pastor who accepts a position at a church, when you're starting it, in the same way that if I start a coffee shop, you know I I really care about the product that I'm putting out there for people. I want you to like experience and enjoy it, and like seeing you delight in a delicious cup of coffee is going to give me zeal. It's it's somewhat similar, and you have to be, I think, careful as a church planner to not idolize your position or your church and make sure that you understand that this church belongs to the Lord mm-hmm. for however long this season may be and leave it in His hands. But there is a very, I think it's, it's, it's hard to see how much weight the planter bears. Um, it's easy to kind of see on a surface like, oh yeah, that Sunday service didn't go well, but there's probably a thousand different variables that that person's thinking about throughout the week of a complicated situation that they were dealing with to try and get this thing rolling, and there's this really difficult counseling situation on top of that, and Mm -hmm. all these different variables that go in, and that is certainly the case with pastors of all varieties, but even it's more, I guess, magnified, intensified for the planter.
0: And especially now, you know, everyone kind of thinks, oh, well, you don't have Sunday services, not really a whole lot to do, but for me, and I'm sure for (laughs) you guys, I mean, the, the workload has seemed to exponentially increase.
2: Yeah. Hannah, the so Hannah's my wife, the first week she just came and talked to me and had a lot of love and grace and said, you can't do this. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, you're working like 80 hours. This is insane. Because immediately my, in, my instinct was, not that it's going to fall apart, but man, are our people okay? So I am Zooming everyone. I'm like calling people. I'm producing content. We were doing daily morning uh, prayer, doing all this stuff, Um, doing the sermon as well, trying to figure out how to live stream when I've never live streamed before. So I'm calling Zach, who's like got some complicated setup. And I'm like, just give me the plug and play. Um, So, you know, all these different things. It it was really tough. And just she said it. And then another guy in our church was like, dude, I love you. I'm so thankful for all the content. Stop it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it's been a joy to have you guys on. Uh, We're going to move into something we call the lightning round, which is just a a rapid fire set of questions. And so uh, here we go.
1: All right. Favorite local restaurant. I know y'all live in different places. Claudia's. I mean, we've mentioned it (laughs) a few times. Oh, man. It is a
2: two-way tie between Mountain Burrito, which is amazing, and Moondog Pizza. Seems like cheating. but I just get both and combine them.
1: Favorite windows down music. Do you know what I mean by that? Like if you have the windows down, you're driving in your car.
2: Yeah, I guess it just depends. Lately, I've been getting into some more, like maybe it's because I'm back in Burke County, but like uh, all country stuff like Tyler Childers and, and yeah. stuff like that. That's what I've been getting into lately.
3: I only roll my windows down and play music when I want to embarrass my children. So like yeah. Taylor Swift is <laughs> usually something that's, that's going on. Tay-tay.
2: It used to be metal back in the day for me.
1: Childhood nickname
3: cheese it really? because someone threw a cheese it at me one, It's a whole thing someone threw yeah. a cheese it at me one time it hit my lip the salt got in the cut and i cried <laughs> mm, that's so they called me cheese it for years it was a whole thing
1: was i a... initially laughed because i didn't know how to respond i didn't know that's just no, yeah. I'm, I'm cool yeah. with it now yeah. but it
3: got good because i'm gonna
0: call you cheese it oh, geez.
1: <laughs> three dollar bill and i just think that
2: was because people liked beastie boys and stuff like that and they called me that so yeah that was a, that's the only nickname i can think of billy is a nickname of william yes but i've never been called william ever
0: about yes. billium.
1: Yes, Billiam. or Bilbo. I've gotten that a lot too. Mm, that makes sense. If you got switched into someone else's body, how would people know it's you?
3: I'd say "cool, cool, 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 cool" a lot, probably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that would work for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe I'd be well. See, it'd be a different body, so that wouldn't work. I don't know. Um, I was gonna say because I'd be gassy, but that's just because of me right now, <laughs> who I
1: am. I always blame it on whatever I've recently eaten. Like, oh, it's because I ate vegetables. Oh, it's, I it's ice cream. I ate. Every food. <laughs> yeah. I ate food, so I'm yep. gassy.
0: Too much coffee. I didn't eat food. Mm. does not matter? Yeah. I got one. Yeah. What's, both of you have several tattoos. What's mm-hmm. your favorite tattoo that you have?
3: I have a tattoo of <laughs> um, Jesus' handprint with uh, blood on it, uh, picking me up. It's like on my inner arm. Uh, and it's and it's really, I like it because the meaning is like Jesus picking me up out of the muck of the mire. Yeah. But it's also a really good handprint. People think people, like someone just put their hand in ink and, and slapped my arm. Um, my wife's mad about it because she wanted to use her handprint. And I was like, that's kind of weird to have your handprint as yeah. Jesus is. So it's no one's handprint. So people always ask me like,
1: what? whose handprint is that? It's no one's. It's hilarious. <laughs> I can vouch. It does look good. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. sweet, huh? Mm-hmm.
3: So wait, it's nobody's handprint. Yeah. So he just made it on the spot. He drew ovals on my arm, mm. and was like, "I'm just going to shade in handprint." I was like, "That's going to look." He's horrible. very talented. Yeah, he's really good. He's, he's a pastor now. He left the uh, tattoo business.
2: Okay, I, I I can't pick my favorite tattoo. There are so many I like. There are three I like equally the most, and I'm not going to do that. So I'll tell you my least favorite tattoo. Uh-huh. So when I have Is a this lot. your podcast, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> I've just I've broken the rules. I'm going to do every what I want. Single one. I have three, I have grapes. Those are awesome. That's basically like we're called to. A- be a part of the vine, bear fruit. And so there's like wine splashing out, which is supposed to be the new covenant. I Added have one, bonus. That's, that's a, a really good one.
1: When you get old, they'll turn into raisins. It's true. <laughs>
2: then I have one that people think I'm for Louisiana because it's a pelican piercing its breast and feeding its children, but it's actually the oldest Christian symbol for the Eucharist. Of uh, uh, There's a famine, and so the pelican is piercing its breast to feed its children, oh. and uh, it's beautiful. And then I have a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns, which is from Revelation, and I love that. My least favorite tattoo is my kneecap. I have a big old sea monster on my kneecap, and it comes from Psalm 74 where it says he divides the waters and crushes the head of the sea monster. My wife thought that was a cool idea and I had a buddy who was a tattoo apprentice, and he wanted to do it, but he ended up, I don't know, it looks kind of like Krang from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Which you have okay. Ninja Turtle tattoos. So. I do. I, have, uh, <laughs> do. I have I have my, but it's not pink, it's green, and I, and I want to fix it so it looks more like Cthulhu than Krang, but... It, and it was also easily the most painful tattoo I ever got. It was so painful.
0: Word to the wise, don't go to a tattoo apprentice.
3: For a complex no, sea
2: he monster was, tattoo. No, he did a good job. <laughs> it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. I got a real quick yeah. thing because yeah. you asked me. I'm going to give you guys my top 10 board games real quick. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, here it is. Number 10, Quantum. I've always wanted to do this on a podcast. <laughs> I, have, I have. I'm not going to explain them all because of time. Number 10, Quantum. Number 9, Mansions of Madness. Number 8. Railways of the World, number seven, Twilight Imperium, number six, Terraforming Mars, number five, Blood Rage, number four, Orleans, number three, Anachrony, number two, Scythe, and number one, Viticulture. All right,
1: did it. Thanks. You just fulfilled a fantasy for me. Thanks, man. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> All right. I think this is a good one to end on, the f- your favorite podcast.
2: Right now is this cultural moment. It's really good. If you haven't listened to it,
1: it's fantastic.
2: You'll start with season one. You'll get in three episodes. You know, just want to keep listening. It's basically a look at understanding how do we exist as Christians in a post-Christian context. Mm -hmm. Very good.
1: That sounds awesome. Uh,
3: I think my favorite right now is Culture Matters. Uh, Just looking at what's happening in our culture through the lens of the gospel. Uh, It's something that I uh, never thought about before, you know, before really planning a church. Like, what does all this stuff mean? how are we supposed to look at this? And they help walk through that. And they don't just do it. They like teach you how to, as they do. And I don't know if they do it on purpose, but it's really helpful.
0: All right. Super cool. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for being our guest today.
1: This was fun. Yeah, Yeah, thanks.
0: It's been a lot Thanks for having
1: me. This is great.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, You'll see these guys again. They'll be preaching at some point over the summer, most likely at Missio. Anyway, have a great one. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Vox Pop. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And if you are interested in being a guest on a future episode, you can email us. How do we do that?
1: You can email us at voxpop at mdcasheville.org. That's V-O-X-P-O-P at mdcasheville.org. Thanks for listening.
0: Have a good one, y'all.